recording. So, all right, Paul, uh, if you would, just uh, introduce yourself and, and tell everybody what you do. All right. Uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, my name is Paul White. I'm an attorney here in Melbourne, Florida, and I work at the High Stack Gordon Kirby Law Firm. And we are a personal injury law firm. Um, the firm's originally from Miami, but the, one of the founders was from Melbourne, and uh, relocated back up here some time ago. And uh, we we do believe that one of the or the firm itself has been one of the longest or longest running personal injury firms in the state. So, but um, all we do is personal injury, and of course I know you, Chris, from um, the public defender's office. Um, I can't remember exactly how long we worked together, but I know we did for a little bit. But I know we've had some cases on on the civil defense, um, on some of the ones that I was a um, prosecuting or yeah. had the plaintiffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that was one of the uh, one of the unexpected kind of fun things when I made the tra transition from public defender into civil litigation is that we had a few cases uh, on opposite sides of one another, and it's always fun to practice against a friend. Sure. So um, obviously, since then, I've made the switch to doing plaintiffs plaintiff side work, and I've definitely leaned on you a few times in the transition to kind of like help me out with some some stuff no because problem. it's definitely di different doing plaintiffs work than defense work. I mean, like you know, all the issues are all the same, and you know, uh, the medicine and the science are still the same, but you know, there's a lot more there's a lot more work on the front end uh, when you're working the plaintiff side than there is when you're doing defense side uh, because you know, as a defense attorney. Most of the time I got cases, you know, after the complaint got filed and, you know, plaintiff's attorneys have the case for like six months to a year before they file the complaint. So all that work that you do in the run-up to filing the complaint, like, I, I mean, I had an idea of how to do it just from talking to, you know, different plaintiff's attorneys such as yourself. Um, but then actually getting out there and doing it is a whole different, is a whole different thing. Yeah, no, sure, man. No, I mean, that, that's, that's the way it should be. I mean, you should be able to reach out to friends, even other attorneys that you just kind of know and, and um, all kind of help each other out. So yeah, man, no problem. So like, what is kind of like your standard approach to doing like pre-suit uh, prep for for your, your, your cases? Well, um, I mean, it's like anything, as any trial attorneys that we are, you're always thinking about what a jury may see or hear one day. So I mean, it really is important to gather as much information as you can in the beginning, getting those photos always making sure that they're stored somewhere. I mean, it, like like you said, sometimes we've had a case, I mean, way longer than a year before it's actually a suit is filed. Mm -hmm. And as that time goes by, you lose stuff. So it's it really is important <laughs> yeah. to do, yeah, to do all that, that prep work. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's it's difficult. Not every case you file a lawsuit on, as you know, and, and it's really just kind of gathering all that information in the beginning and and being able to keep it in a, a, a organized place, and that's where really good staff comes in, and we have really good staff here, so I really lean on them. Yeah, see, like it, it's funny that you say that because I'm having an issue right that right now in a case just like that. I know that I've seen certain pictures and video that correspond with this case. I have no idea where they are. I know who has them, and I've seen them, and I can get them again. But like right now, I'm just like, how did I not? How did that not make it into the system? You know. And so, like, having to go back like, at some point here in the next, you know, couple of weeks or, or a month or so, I'm going to have to go back and obviously get a hold of it because they're, they're going to be integral to the case. Um, but, yeah, you know, like, I, I don't know if you know this, but it's just me right now, so I don't have a staff. So I can't wait to sure. get – I can't wait to get someone who is highly organized because, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that I'm not organized. Like, I'm, I'm a decently organized person, but, you know, you got to be hyper-organized in this business. And, you know, when things slip through the cracks, it's pretty annoying. Yeah, no, for sure. And we're lucky enough to have really good staff that have done personal injury for quite a while because they, there are all those other things too, like public records requests. I mean, you can yeah. get a lot of stuff from just all the different law enforcement agencies. Like, for instance, I just had a, um, um, a hit and, uh, yeah, I guess I'm leaving the scene. And uh, Geico is trying to say that, uh, that the person who owned the vehicle, of course, said, oh, it was, my car was stolen, which is not true i mean they can say that so geico's trying to raise raise an issue to that well our insured had no control over it well by trying by going through the police and getting them and asking them what they've done there we've got them to still investigate it and it looks like um they're gonna 
charge this lady with this, even though they couldn't catch her at the time. Huh. And that just, yeah, that just really helps us because Geico's already sent me a letter saying that, listen, our insurance said the car was stolen, so we're not going to take any liability here. And it's just completely un, not right because this lady's completely lying. So right. we're working with the law enforcement and just not really working with them, but just, I don't know, kind of giving them some information that you know that they may not know kind of goes a long way. And it's my staff who's been doing that, which is really helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just now getting like kind of clued into the world of public records requests. I've got a, a big case. I don't know if I've talked to you about this case, but it's a pedestrian versus vehicle accident uh, and the crosswalks were out. And so no, I, I, did a, I did a, I did a, I did a public records request for the maintenance logs for that particular crosswalk section. And it was funny because before I did the public records request, I was basically getting the finger from the organization that maintains yeah. the crosswalks, which is the, the argument, right? The argument is going to be, but for the crosswalk malfunctioning, the accident wouldn't have happened kind of thing. And uh, as soon as I got those logs, it was like, you should go talk to our, our, our adjuster. Here's the uh, information. Here's the policy. You should go talk to them. And it was like a, like a break in the case. So now I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to go out and do public records requests for like the crosswalks and like the vicinity around that one, just to kind of see like how the maintenance is going on those, because it's the same or, you know, same city that has to maintain all the ones yeah. around that. I would say that their maintenance of those is also relevant to the maintenance of this particular intersection. Yeah, no, you actually made me uh, think of something, and I'll send you the link. It was something that I wasn't aware of, but um, the Florida Department of Transportation, they have, like, this interface where you can do a search on all the accidents that have happened in a particular area. And we had this intersection where we think kind of not a, not a crosswalk issue, but actually a, a lighting issue from the, from the street light. And uh, we're able to see that there's other accidents there and, and determine how long the street lights were out for. So... And there's a, yeah, there's a bunch of tools like that. But if you just ask around and send requests, they'll uh, they'll give you links to things where you can find a lot of information. Do you find they're usually pretty responsive to, to responding to those requests, or have you gotten them or they'll they'll kind of stonewall you? For right now, I mean, just dealing with um, with the Florida Department of Transportation, they've been pretty upfront um, or have been pretty responsive to it. Um, very helpful, actually. So. I mean, there there are some um, that aren't so much, but um, but no, I, I think it just it just depends. But luckily, or lately, we've been pretty lucky. So I think that's something that I'm always worried about. I mean, I know that they legally have to comply with the public records request, but I guess the the litigator in me, the skeptic, the skeptic in me, is always like, well, what if they don't? Like, how would I ever even know that? You know, even if, and if I was able to find out, like, what would be the, you know, what would be the course of action to, like, hold them accountable for that? When all I'm trying to do is like just do a pre-suit investigation. Like, I'm not interested in hauling off and suing the Department of Transportation for, you know, failure to respond to my public records request. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the way we couched this one, though, we told them that it was actually it was a, it was a light, um, a street light, so it was FPL. So I, I don't know. I forget if we exactly, like, said that that was kind of who we were trying to see what was going on. And so they were very open after that when they didn't know, when they knew it wasn't really them that we yeah. were trying to go after. So Yeah. Yeah, so, like, that investigation stuff, like the – I mean, like, you know – you know, once you get out of law school, you realize, obviously, you know, a large part of being an attorney and specifically being a litigator is that you've got to learn how to do investigations, which, you know, I could get on my soapbox and talk about how I think that law schools should do a better job prepping students how to do investigations or how to investigate stuff. But I think that's probably a conversation for a different time. But yeah. like going from the public defender's office to the defense side obviously you got to up your investigation game but going from the defense side to the plaintiff side it's like it's it's like you're not even playing in the same ballpark because sure. I, I think it's because of the whole pre-suit thing man like you've got as much time really so long as you're not outside the statute of limitations which is quite a long time if you get the case within you know a week of the accident happening get four years to just do as much investigation as you think is feasible for the case and so once that kind of once that dawned on me, it's like, well, okay, you know, like how can I do investigations? Like, what can I do? Where can I get it from? It's, it's been a, it's definitely been a process, a learning experience that I'm actually kind of enjoying, but it's it's a it's a lot. There's a lot there. 
Yeah, and and we do use private investigators sometimes, um, and they're they are very helpful. They'll go out and just ask people questions, and of course I know you've seen that. You get all those recordings, so it's one of those things, though. I mean, you you do look at the the case, and you got to look at the cost, and is it is it cost feasible, and things like that. But um, but yeah, no, there's a bunch of tools you can use to kind of do that pre-suit investigation. Have you been doing? Uh, do you guys do life care plans at all? Uh, let me think. If we don't want to, um, we have. I mean, if you mean if we do them, no, of course we we farm them out. Oh yeah, yeah, um, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, of course. I mean, you get some catastrophic injuries, and you get people that um already have some kind of benefits that that they don't really want to get affected by coming into a, a large settlement. But yeah, yeah, all means by all means we set up a life care plan. So for anybody that might be listening that doesn't know what a life care plan is, what can you describe what a life care plan is? Yeah, sure. It's um, I, I mean, you're are, are you talking about like the uh, building it for to um, show it at like a mediation or a trial, or are you talking about like after a settlement when you're when they're trying to like plan their finances? I'm talking about like using it to prepare for mediation or for trial. Gotcha. Yeah, no, no, no. There, there's um, there's a couple guys, a couple places that we use that'll do uh, a day in the life. So of course they'll go down and and film the person. I mean, it really is for more of the catastrophic injuries, people that, um, I mean, really just don't get around as well as they used to. I mean, either being paralyzed or losing a limb or something like that. Um, just very, very powerful stuff just to have kind of an independent person do a little bit of a documentary of a day in the life, as we kind of call it. And and then after that, you can get other people involved that talk about the, uh, the economic side of it, about what they were making and what they're not going to make and, and just how that is going to affect um, their state for pretty much the rest of their life. So, um, yeah, very, very valuable when you're talking about damages. I mean, it's not for every case. You usually do it when you're really talking about catastrophic damages. But, um, but yeah, I mean, have, have, you seen any, have you seen some good ones on the defense side or when you were on the defense side? Um, you know, when I left the defense side, I was getting murmurs from some of the like like large mill firms that they were going to start doing them fairly regularly but i only saw two okay. i think that i can think of right now like while i was on defense side and they seem solid you know i mean i can't really i mean there's obviously there's always the pitfalls that you get with hiring experts but nothing nothing outrageous or anything like that um, but they seem pretty legitimate i actually just um, contracted to have my first one done Oh, really? um, in the last like week or so so um i'm hoping that you know obviously i hope that it's it, you know that the that the report is done accurately and well and yeah. that it's illuminating as well because the it, it's again it's that crosswalk case it's a catastrophic injury he's got a tbi pretty pretty bad tbi um oh, and he was sec 16 at the time of the accident oh no so you know and you know how it goes. Like you, you, you get in this business long enough, you kind of get a good feel for being able to value cases. But once in a once in a once in a blue moon, you'll get like like you're saying like these catastrophic injury cases where like I don't know how to assess a like what's a what's an 18 year old with a traumatic brain injury? What does that look like in 30 years? You know yeah. what does that look like in 50 years? You know like I can I can speculate, but I really don't know. You know? Yeah. No, it's that that's serious stuff, and yeah, that's. Definitely one if, if, if you if there's the, the coverage for it. I mean that's unfortunately um, that's a, unfortunately that's kind of what we're we're left with sometimes and it's hard to talk to the clients about that. But yeah, man, if, if you got a way to to just really make that visual representation and and even have an off, uh, a doctor an expert talk about the economic side of it, very very powerful stuff. Yeah, I think I might need to get because I'm. I I'm actually having a, it's a non-doctor that's doing it, but uh -huh. I think that depending on how that one looks, I may have a, like a neuro um, come in and do that as well, just depending on uh, just how the case, I guess, progresses. I haven't, I haven't decided yet, but either way, it's, it's a, um, it's an interesting thing. Like I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what it's going to say because, you know, I have an idea of what I think it's going to say, but I don't really know. You know, so you know, once they take a look at the medical records and they do, they do, they do all their their thing and sit down and think about it. I'll be curious to see what it comes up as. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 
That's sad. Sixteen year old, yeah, and, and, and brain injury. That that's not good. That, that's oh man, gonna, it's yeah. it's a, it's a crazy case, man. He's so the he was in Clearwater on vacation with his family from South Africa, and so it's him and his sister who was roughly 25, 24 at the time, her husband, oh, wow. and then his other sister and his mother, and his other sister who was like 20-ish at the time has Downs. And yeah. the reason that they were in the, in the States was because the sister and brother-in-law had within the year, or maybe like a year or two before, had lost a two-year-old to brain cancer. Wow. And so they were treating with a psychologist or multiple psychologists in in South Africa. And one of them proposed the idea of like, you know, you guys should go on a vacation, get up, get out of here. You know, it'll help kind of like get you out of this rut. It's something exciting for you to plan for and, you know, just get out of the country and, and, and just go try to have a good time and, and kind of try to forget about what's been going on. So they leave and they come over here and they hadn't been in Clearwater. They hadn't even like slept a night here. And the accident happens, and they have not left. They've been oh, here wow. the entire time through COVID, through the protests slash riots. It's been the civil unrest. I guess is probably the best way to put it. The civil unrest that's been going on, and you know, it's it's a it's a pretty it's it's catastrophic in every sense of the every sense of the word catastrophic. I mean, like they're, they're all of their lives have changed. You know, it's not just you know the 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 sixteen year old who's now eighteen. It's not you know just his life. It's the the mother. You know, who's now basically going to be taking care of him for the rest of her life, and you know the 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 sister and the husband are still here. So he just found work, you know. But they're all they're all reeling from it. They're all still trying to figure out how how to move forward. You know. Yeah, no, I can only imagine. That's uh, that's crazy. So you got any good uh, new cases that you've been been working on? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, we've. Uh, I mean, now that people are starting to kind of move around a little bit and um, kind of getting a little bit back to normal, starting to get some cases start coming back in again. Um, trying to think what uh what we got going on. I mean, it's kind of crazy with uh, trials kind of being postponed for the rest yeah. of the year. Is yeah. it? Is it? I mean, Sue, it's like that over there, right? Like yeah. you guys aren't talking about trials until the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not really. I, I know they've been doing some non-jury stuff, but realistically, like, yeah, it's all been a, a, it's been at a standstill. I actually filed a notice for trial. Um, but we had the we had the hearing on it. We had a calendar call, and uh-huh. uh, the judge was like, "Have you guys even talked about this?" And I was like, "No, judge. I'm just trying to like get in line." <laughs> And the judge was yeah. like, oh, okay. And she was she was totally cool about it. I could see that she was kind of like, you didn't even talk about it. And it's like, but, you know, I was getting along. We, like, opposing counsel's cool, and, like, we get along fine. So we just kind of, like, hashed it out right there. And she understood. So, but, yeah, man, I, you know, I don't know how it's going to go. I don't, I don't know what – I imagine that criminal – the criminal trials are going to be the first thing to have to go. So it's going to be all hands on deck trying to knock out criminal trials. And then somewhere, somehow, civil will get in there at some point. Yeah, no. I mean, they're they're doing the same thing. They've been trying to start criminal back over here. Um, the trials back. There was there was talk they were going to start it last month, and of course that never happened. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're. I mean, we've got trial dates in January, so they're they're saying they're going to start doing civil trials and all trials in January. So we're expecting a pretty busy 2021. Um, so that that's that's going to be a fun <laughs> fun thing to deal with. How many, like roughly, how many do you have set in January right now? I think we, well, we're we're pretty good about spreading them out. Um, so we, I think we only have one in January. I think there's there's one in, I want to say there's one in February, one in March, and I think yep. there's a break in April. But I mean, we're starting to get all these trial orders now. Yep. yep. And um, yeah, I don't know. If, I'm sure the judges did the same thing over there. They just moved the cases without even talking to anybody. So we got a. Uh, we got all the cases that were set for this fall that all just were spread out over 2021 yeah. without even any consultation from us. Yeah, right. I had that happen actually in Brevard. I haven't had it happen over here, but in Brevard I had a case set for trial that got unilaterally moved without any input from us. And then it was put on the trial docket. Like We got it off the trial docket actually, and then, we, and then it was randomly set again, but then uh-huh. I never got a trial order. And I never got like the... Um, 
not just the trial order, but the, um, I don't know why I'm spacing on the term for it, but the, what's the document that has all of the, you know, like, you know, the, the one twenty five 25 or whatever. No, no, like we definitely, we definitely didn't get cutoff dates, but I guess the, is it the trial order is the one that has like the, you know, like cases that are set for this trial docket are, you know, one through 25, you're number 10. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. The, the, the trial order. Yeah. Okay. So like, yeah, right. So like we never got the trial order on that and then I'm going through like, you know, my, uh, you know, just my, my files or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, this case is set for trial in four weeks and we haven't had any work on this. Like, and we haven't gotten the calendar dates or anything like that. So I sent a, you know, an email to the JA and I was like, Hey, is, you know, like what's going on here? Like, are we even, uh, is this even set? And she said that, no, it wasn't set. It was set in error, you know, but the notice clearly says that it's set for trial in October or whatever. And yeah, it was just, you know, one of these things where, you know, like we, you know, had to go back and forth to the clerk's office and get it all rectified. But I was like, oh my gosh, like we're set for trial in like three weeks and we haven't, like no work's been done on this case. Yeah. But, you know, it, because it had been unilaterally set. So. Gotcha. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's hard because um, you got all these clients asking what's going on and, and trying to explain to them, hey, listen, there's just nothing we can do just yet. I mean, it's it's trial is how cases get resolved. Your case may never go to trial, but that but getting prepared for it and getting ready to go to the courthouse is how cases get resolved. Yeah, I've been referring to it um, as like it's the carrot and stick, right? But there's yep. no carrot right now. Correct. So we're just kind of sitting around waiting, you know. And again, luck, like like it's a silver lining for me, right? I would prefer to have not started my business during 2020, but sure. at the same time, like, again, like I don't have like a volume of cases that I need to be bringing in. I, I'm, I'm happy to get whatever I can get. If you know what I mean? Like I've actually just gotten to the point now where it's, it's not like that anymore. Like I'm not going to take everything that I think that I can handle. I'm getting more choosy on what I can take. Like, you know, I'm taking less like property damage stuff and more, you know, stuff that's more like personal injury related. Um, but I haven't had to worry about things being set for trial because it's all at the beginning. It's all either in pre-suit or just getting into suit. So, you know, setting things or things that have been set for trial, like I, I don't have that. So nothing yeah. really got, not, not too many things got kicked. I think I only had that one case that got kicked. Everything else is still kind of in the discovery phase or not even in trial yet, you know, not even in, in litigation process. It's all still pre-suit. So, sure. you know, I've been fortunate in that regard to not have to worry about too much disruption because I'm already disrupted, right? Because <laughs> I'm so new. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure you know this. Don't, yeah, never be afraid to refer a case. I mean, you never want to get involved with something that you're not that sure of and not really that sure what to do. I mean, attorneys are like doctors. We all have different specialties. And, and God, there's nothing worse than getting deep in something that you're like, why did I take this from the first place? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. we, yeah, no, I mean, even like little, even stuff that I could do, I could, I'm sure I could work it out. I just, it's, I look at it, I'm like, it's just not worth <laughs> Worth the one thing that I don't know that they could right. screw the whole thing up. So right, but that's so yeah. Like, but like the stuff that I've been getting, it's like contract stuff. You know, sending out some demand letters on some things. It's nothing like you know, nothing that's in litigation really for the most part. So, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, like and that's been one of the things that I've been doing since I've been over here is like trying to like work the network so that I can find people that are over here that I can refer cases out to that are in different specialties. Like you know, immigration. Like I don't know anything about immigration. Yeah. You know, but once in a, like I've already had an immigration referral. You know, or like family law. Like I'm not gonna touch family law with a ten foot pole. No. So, you know, gotta, gotta have somebody <laughs> I'm with you on have, that. Yeah, gotta have like and, and you know family law stuff comes up too. You know, so I've referred out family law stuff. And, but you know, like the little like basic like breach contract stuff. You know, or like trying to send a letter to somebody who wronged someone else for you know some some small claims thing or whatever. You know, keep it out of keep it out of litigation. But you know, maybe you can just like get in there and put your put your name on it, send some letters, talk to some people and see if you can't work it out. But I'm getting to the point now where I don't have to, I, I don't feel like I need to do that anymore. Well, good. Good. Yeah. No, yeah, man, you're going to, I'm sure you're going to do fine. It's just, yeah, that beginning part, getting that caseload and, and that and it goes from there. Just the hard work you got to put in. Yeah, dude, it's been crazy. I mean, like, look, I have a podcast now, so it's, it's one of those <laughs> things where like you just get out there and you just try to you just do stuff, you know, and try to, Try to see, try to see if you can't make an impact, make a splash, and so far so good. You know, even despite all the the COVID craziness, it's I, I can't complain, my man. I can't complain at all. Oh, good, good. Yeah, you know what? I actually just uh, realized today on um, 
October 14th was my first day here at the high stack firm six years ago. So I can't believe I've already been here for six years <laughs> after leaving the PD's office. I mean, damn, time goes by fast. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, still here. Did you get a gold watch? <laughs> no, no gold watch. But uh, but now this is a good firm. I um, yeah. I know you. I know you've met all the guys, David and Mike yep. and, and Nathan, and yep. and of course they speak very highly of you as well too. But uh, just a good good group of guys to work yep. with, and so um, it's nice when when you can sit down and and I'm sure you'll be there one day as your firm grows. But it's it's nice when you don't are worried about asking a stupid question. You can just go sit down in someone's office and just say. Hey, this is what's going on, and it's something that you maybe could have looked up yourself. But you know what? Just go in and ask somebody, and and they like talking about it, and you can kind of work it out together. And yeah. and uh, so yeah, so I really enjoy that here. But uh, but definitely definitely miss that criminal stuff. Um, go to the, I mean, I was in the courthouse a couple weeks ago for a traffic hearing. I had to handle what? a <laughs> handle a speeding ticket for somebody. Mm-hmm. But uh, but just seeing those people and seeing the ju- the, the people, I say attorneys, seeing the other attorneys and the deputies and the judges that I just don't get to see as much is still um, something I miss. I do wish that um, just the way civil is, you're just not in the courtroom. Yep. Yeah. As as much as you were as a criminal attorney. You know, it's funny. Like, I definitely miss the old PD days, no doubt about it. And I, I like, I'll, that'll always hold like a special place in my heart. But I kind of like, I kind of like that I'm not always like in court, like knocked down, drag out. You know, every single day, all day. Like, I, maybe I'm getting old. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> but it is nice not having to go in there and, and do that on a, on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, I do miss it. You know, I, I haven't been in court. I mean, obviously because of COVID, I haven't been in court since February, I think, you know, yeah. I was just starting to get, you know, my cases were just starting to get to that point where, you know, hearings and stuff were happening and then COVID happened. But even now, like I have like, you know, maybe one hearing a month right now. So it's really not all that much. Yeah, are you do? I mean, is all your hearings by Zoom, or are you actually going to the courthouse? No, they're all Zoom right now. Yeah, they're they're doing some over here in Brevard, but um, but yeah, most of them are Zoom. And like I said, the traffic stuff—they're they're doing all the traffic hearings in person. So I went to the to the courthouse, and yeah, I mean they space them out. It's funny we're doing night court now. My but my traffic hearing was at six thirty at night. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh. Who was the judge? But, it's uh, Judge uh, Katie Jacobus. Okay. I don't, um, we've had, I don't know if I don't know if you've been paying attention over here, but we've had a big or about to have. Um, well, actually, no, it was in August was the big one. There's it's there's no there's no voting in uh, in November for this one. So in August we had a big um, turnover on judges because a lot of the older judges are retiring. Okay. So there was a, a new a bunch of new people that came in and ran other attorneys around here. So yeah, there's going to be like four new judges. Um, starting in January. Anybody I know? Yeah, um, Steve Henderson okay, got elected. Cool. Nice. Um, Sam Bookhart finally got elected. Which oh yeah, really... I saw that. I was so yeah. happy. I was like, "That's the guy. That, that that's a, yeah. Man, he's gonna be such a good judge." Yeah, yeah. So Sam got elected. Um, Steve Henderson, and oh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, it, believe it or not, Katie Jacobus um, or Judge Jacobus, her husband, Kurt Jacobus put his name in for that's going to be a vacant spot next year and nobody ran against him. Nobody put their name in at all. So he got in by, uh, by default. So he's going to be a new judge and there's one more election I'm leaving out. Which one Jacobus was that? And Jacobus. Yeah. Jacobus and Jacobus. Oh, I know what it was. There was a, um, it was a seminal judge. There was a seminal, uh, okay. seat. There was a, but yeah, we never go over to seminal. I forget her name, but, um, but two, also, all new, four new judges with no judicial experience. Just, just I mean, close lawyer experience. But. So that'll be interesting. Who went out? Who went out for, is Bookhart over in Titusville? I know that was kind of his area. Um, Did Freeland no, go out or? No, you know who it is? Um, judge um, Robin Lemonitis is not coming back. So her spot, her spot was open. Okay. Um, judge um, Roberts is retiring. So Judge Roberts is going to be off the bench. Uh, all right. Yeah, all right. I know. I'm going to miss Judge Roberts. Um, <laughs> when we get done, i, I got to tell you a story about him when we get off, when we get done with the podcast. Sure, sure. Um, Judge Turner is retiring, so he's another one gone. And and then I think there's one more that's leaving. Yeah, there's just a bunch of judges that are just um, they're just hanging it up. Yeah. So. But, uh, 
But yeah, no, it'll be good. I mean, a lot of new, young, good judges. So, um, so it should be interesting over here. What to you, Paul, makes a good judge? Well, I mean, of course, everyone's going to say experience. And I do think that is a, a big side of it. But um, I just think, I mean, it's it comes down to just being that impartial, being able to listen to it. I mean, we see so many judges that uh, that are just so state oriented or defense oriented that sometimes doesn't work for everybody but just really trying to be impartial and letting everybody have their have their argument and following the law i mean it's it's i don't know it's not not all people can make it being judges and that's why we've seen some judges that have get get beat out in re-election but um i think also just being personable just talking with people and, and being accommodating is, is just I don't know. Like Judge Roberts, I know we're talking about him, but uh, I think he's a really good judge. Yep. And um, he he does the right right uh, makes the right ruling. He follows the law even though he doesn't like it. But um, but just a, a nice guy to be in front of. Never makes you that nervous or yep. um, doesn't doesn't make you feel dumb when sometimes you feel dumb when the arguments you're making. So um, I don't know. I think that is someone who's even keeled. He was. I think that's a good one. Even Keeled is a good one. I think that's a really good broad stroke. Like impartial, obviously, would be the first one. I think like ninety percent of attorneys or ninety nine percent of attorneys would agree that the first characteristic is be impartial. But I think even Keeled. I think I think you hit the nail on the head, man. I think that's the word that like I think sums it up. I think judges should be even Keeled and personable. But uh, Judge Roberts, man, like he was great. Like when I first got started on defense side, right? So I'm coming, you know, crack shot out of out of public defenders office, thinking I know everything and uh get out and and judge roberts tended to be the one that i was in front of i don't know for for what for whatever reason it seemed like the cases that were that i was getting hearings on happened to be in front of him okay. and he was so cool man he would let me he would let me make like he wouldn't he wouldn't just let me talk about whatever i wanted to like he'd interrupt me you know and he'd ask me questions and stuff like that which was unusual because i don't know why i don't know <laughs> what it was about being in the pd's office and, and being in, in county court but most of those judges would just kind of like let me talk before asking questions, but Roberts wasn't like that. He would just be like, he'd want me to get to the point. But also if, like I remember I had a hearing in front of him and it was a big hearing and I have a tendency when I get nervous to talk really fast. <laughs> and he was looking at me and he just like, he, he just like put his hand up, like like flat out in front of him, right? And he, and he just like took his hand and he like pushed like down, like palm down, like, you know, slow down, slow down. And then he actually said it. He was like, Mr. Wagoner, take a breath. We're not going anywhere. Just slow down. <laughs> sure. And I was like, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like an insulting way of saying it or anything like that. Like he was just like, it was just like the nicest, like it was just advice. You know, he was like, you need to slow down. We're not in any hurry. Just tell me what you got. You know, just give me what you got. And then, you know, I, you know, took a breath and composed myself and, you know, continued with the argument and everything was fine. But he... Just the way he did that, it always sticks out to me. It was a really good, the way he handled that was really good, and it was a good lesson for me to learn at the beginning when I was like getting out and doing civil civil litigation. Yeah, now it's good for judges to really kind of do that stuff, and because as young attorneys, it, it does help. It does help a lot, and it, it's the stuff like that that you remember that that you take with you. So yeah, no, he's he's good. So we'll miss him on the bench, but, um, but yeah, Guna's um, Guna's the the uh, the Bard County Bar President now. And um, so, oh, yeah, it's kind that's of, right. yeah, it's kind of a bummer. She's kind of sad because, um, you know, she's kind of a social person and, and yeah. was looking forward to putting on all these events yeah. for the Bar County Bar. But because of COVID, she can't do that. But we're still planning on doing some kind of retirement party for uh, for Judge Roberts. That's cool. She's going to be planning it. So we'll, we'll let you know. So maybe it works on your schedule. Maybe you could stop by or something. That would be awesome. Yeah, but you know, but but because Guna's the bar president in 2020, she's going to be immortalized as the COVID bar president. I know. You know? Yeah, she was. Yeah, poor poor her. She, I mean, she's because they usually do like an installation dinner where the the old president yeah. gives gives the plaque over and then yep. you give another award to somebody else. But nope, none of that this year. Hooray so, via Zoom, right? Warm, yeah, warm. I don't. I don't even think they did it via Zoom. I think they just kind of sent out a newsletter and that was it. So. Really, man, that sucks. Yeah, but. Nothing you can do. Right. Just it do is what it is, yeah. right? You know, life is yeah. what it is. It's been a weird year for everybody. Yeah, it has. So I got an unreasonable use of force case. Have you had any of what those a, yet? No. What, is, uh, what does that entail? 
Well, it's going to be a civil rights violation. So, um, my guy was arrested in Orlando okay. back in April during the lockdown. So, Orlando locked down hard in April of this year because of COVID. And they had a curfew, and the curfew was, I don't even know when it was, like 10, 10 or something like that. Some guy's out walking down the road at 3 o'clock in the morning, and the police come up to him based solely off the curfew violation, and they ask him his name, and he gives him, he gives him a name, and they don't believe him, I think is a, is a concise way of, of explaining that. Okay. So he gives, them, he gives them a name, and they don't believe him. And so they keep, you know, asking for the name and then things kind of escalate. They're arguing. The, the cops are yelling at him. And basically they say, all right, you're either going to, you know, you're either going to come to us and we're going to detain you and you're gonna, or, or you're, we're going to detain you and arrest you for a violation of the curfew or you're going to give us your name. And so eventually the, the argument just breaks down to the point where the cops just approach him, you know, to make a, you know, to, to, to forcefully restrain him. And when they approach him, he actually turns around and puts his hands behind his back, and they, they kind of get him. And there's some conversation over the next, like, 30 seconds or so, and they, you know, they tell him that, you know, you need to kneel on the ground. And so he goes to kneel on the ground, and while he's kneeling, they say, well, you need to put your hands behind your back. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? You want me to kneel on the ground? You want me to put my, my hands behind my back? And then they just shove him to the ground, and they struggle with him on the ground. Uh, backup arrives like I don't know like a minute minute and a half later and I'm like when backup arrives I mean like it's like the cavalry comes in you know like they are like running in like one of the guys sure. like flying knee to the to the upper middle back and you know they proceed to beat on him for a good minute and a half after that I, I've got the video cameras I've seen at least I've counted nine close-fisted strikes that's what I can see um, wow. And then it gets to the point where he's face down in the dirt the, the entire time he's face down in the dirt. And there, there's at least four of them all kneeling on top of him or restraining him. But one guy towards the top, it's not on his neck, but it's like in that like right below the neck area, like between your shoulders. They're kneeling on him and he starts saying, like, I can't breathe. Like, can you let me up? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. That goes on for about 45, 50 seconds. Obviously, they let him up. He survives. Um, and then after that, they're all kind of like standing around him, kind of sort of quiet for a little while. It's kind of weird because my interpretation of, of the aftermath of the fight is that they all kind of know that it got out of hand because there's – I'm not kidding. There's like 10 officers there for this one guy wow. who was violating curfew and didn't do anything. Like there's no furtive movements or anything, you know. Like, he, yes, he's a little bit combative in his responses, but that's about it. And uh, he's on the ground, and they're all standing around him. And one of the officers, while they're trying to interrogate him, is, like, tapping him on, on top of the head, uh, you know, like, with one index finger, like, hey, hey, hey. And uh, then they take him over to the police car, and they, you know, do the search. And they're still trying to get him to give his, give his name. It comes out that he's, you know, the name that he gave him was his twin brother who passed away sometime before that. So it's not his actual identity. But he requests an attorney at some point shortly thereafter, and then they continue to harass him, and, they, you know, he doesn't get an attorney. And at some point, they start threatening him. He gets into the back of the police car, and he's having, like, anxiety in the police car. He, he says that he's having anxiety. You can see it in his face. He's obviously wow. scared of what's going on. And he kind of, like, you know, comes to the edge of the police car, so they shove him back into the police car, you know, so that he falls back over into the bench there. They hogtie his legs. Um, and one of the guys, the guy that hog ties him says something along the lines of like, I'm going to find you every time that I see you out, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find a reason to come get you, which of course he then freaks out because he's, you know, like, what does that mean after you just got beat up by all these guys? And sure. then, yeah, they take him to jail where he Jeez. had a warrant out for his arrest for FTA on a burglary that he had pending, but it was like, it wasn't an, it wasn't an occupied burglar. I think it was like a smash and grab kind of, kind of deal. So, yeah, all of that for, for COVID violation, and they didn't believe him when he gave them his name, which they weren't wrong to believe that. Obviously, they were right. But it's like, I mean, you know how it goes, man. Like, they didn't check. They didn't cross-reference his name before they before things escalated, you know? Yeah, that's, they didn't. That's they didn't do any of that stuff. And it just, it was, it's, it's a crazy case, man. I've, I was actually working on it right before we got on this, uh, before we got on this call. 
I'm like, I'm drafting the complaint. I'm probably going to be filing it here in the next week with the middle district. It's, it's going to be my you. first federal case. Good for you. So, yeah, thanks, man. It's, it's, um, what, uh, how's the guy doing? I mean, is he, is, uh, did he have any, I mean, is he having lasting injuries or is it just, uh, is he doing better? No, he's not doing much better. I mean, he was in jail for a good six months during COVID. Um, but he finally bonded out. Uh, he was originally charged with battery on a law enforcement officer, but they dropped all the felony stuff and he pled to violation of the executive order that relates to the curfew and providing false identification to a law enforcement officer. So once he, he cleared, once he cleared that out, they lowered his bond on his FTA to, you know, like 200 bucks or something like that. And they let him out once he, once he cleared his bond out. But, um, no, he's not doing great. He's got lower back problems. Uh, he's got radiculopathy down into his legs. So I've got him right now. I've got him. He's getting assessed by Cairo, and hopefully we'll get an MRI in the next, you know, few weeks to find out what's really going on with him. But you know, he's not doing too great. I mean, he's he's you know he's homeless, so that's not that's not great either. But you know, mm -hmm. it is what it is. I'm doing what I can for him. Well, good for you, man. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's, that's it's, people need stuff like that. That's good. It's weird though, man, because you know you were talking about working with police officers, and like frankly. It's the same for me. It's been nice, like, you know, since I've, you know, obviously the public defender's office, you're, you're usually against the police, right? You know, sure. for better or for worse, you know, like, you may not look at it like that when you're when you're working with them, but that's what ends up happening. You end up cross-examining them. You're, you're putting their work, their work is being scrutinized by you when you're in trial, right? And sure. that doesn't create, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings from the police. Um, but since I've been on, like, the plaintiff side, it's been awesome. Because like most of the time, like you know, the police are on my side. Like specifically in the in the in the in the crosswalk case, you know, um, talking to the officers who investigated that case, they've been great. It's been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. And then I get a case like this, and it's like, man, you know, know. it's been a good run, but like I can't condone the actions that these guys took. Like it just went too far, you know. And I can see their arguments. I can already hear them in my head. I know what they're gonna be, but they're just. I just don't see it in this one. Like it just went too far. And luckily my client wasn't killed, but I mean like the, the, I can't breathe stuff, but that he said that months before the whole George Floyd thing went down. So this is organic. Like he didn't see that on TV and think, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to say these things because George Floyd just happened. And you know, maybe I can connect what's happening to me to that. It just, it, it actually happened to him. Like that actually happened. It's 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 a crazy case, man. It's crazy. Wow. Well, yeah, that, that, that shouldn't happen. So hopefully, whatever you can do, open some eyes to the, the agency or whoever it is that they've they've got to, I don't know, just do a little bit better. But but yeah, no, it is odd. I mean, I've represented many police officers now in personal injury, and they're like they're like us. I mean, there's good attorneys, bad attorneys, good officers, bad officers, and people. But uh, but you're right, it is a little bit different. You're not always against them, so. Yeah, and I think, you know, most police officers, like you were saying, like, they they do good work, you know? Yeah. They, they go into work, and they try to do a good job, and they try to do right by their community, and they try to do right by the just society at large. But, you know, there's always the bad apples, like you're saying. And then there's also, like, people just have bad days, you know? And, like, you know, COVID and stuff, like, that doesn't make things easier on them. Yeah. So. It's, you know, it just is what it is. Like, you know, people, people have bad days. The problem is that when you're a cop and you have a bad day, people get arrested and people get shot. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, it's a tough job. It's, um, it's a very, very tough job. A lot of, a lot of responsibility and a lot of power, but, um, but it's tough. Do you get any, like, uh, do you guys do any cases like that at the, uh, at the firm you're at? You know, um, I, have, I have a case. It's kind of a, fu a funny case. I mean, I have a case where it, it could have potentially been a, um, excessive force. They didn't, they didn't rough him up too bad. And he wasn't bothered too bad. But uh, a guy's out looking for his cat. And uh, I guess some of the he's, – he's got a flashlight, and he's, like, looking under cars and stuff. And I guess – I don't know. The, the neighbors just – I wouldn't say they don't like him, but maybe they just didn't know who it was. So they called the police. And um, the guy's in his own driveway, um, like, opening up his car door. And then all of a sudden, this uh, cop car comes out of nowhere, unmarked cop car, comes out of nowhere, and this officer's yelling at him to put his hands up. And kind of as he's doing so, the officer's, like, grabbing a hold of him. 
and the officer forgot to put his car in park and so the the unfortunately the cruiser ran into my client and it hurt him i mean it didn't no i mean no broken bones or anything like that but knocked yeah. him down to the ground and hurt, hurt the guy but uh but uh and then they and then they were going to arrest him for um uh what was i going to arrest him for for like for like some kind of like loitering and, and, and prowling and he was like this what? is my house yeah so they didn't end up arresting so i, I didn't prowling around his house yeah so he wanted to potentially um, look at some kind of civil rights violation or something like that. I'm like, no, it, we'll, uh, it's going to be an odd car case, but we're just going to make a car case out of it because the cruiser had car insurance. So so we're just making it into a car case for those injuries to sustain from getting hit by the cop car. Yeah, and if you can avoid like that, like the, the – like it's like a – I'm learning this right now. Like it is a quagmire of – just different intricate legal rules when you're when you when you bring in the civil rights element to to it. I'm really enjoying it. I yeah. like I actually I, I was not like a, a, I like the con law element of it. You know what I mean? Like not that yeah. I was ever like an amazing con law student when we were in 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 law school, but like since getting out of law school, like I've really kind of taken to it and I like it a lot. So it's neat getting a case. It's like I can actually use it as opposed to just being like you know. I think it was the PD's office, man. I think like doing the Fourth Amendment, like I love doing motions to suppress. That was my favorite part of being a PD, other than trials. Oh yeah. Was yeah. just being like, you know, like being kind of like on the front end of keeping the government out of your business. Like nothing personal to the police, but they're always the ones doing it, right? But it's sure. just like you know, keeping Uncle Sam, keeping keeping their eyes out of my house, keeping them out of my car, keeping them, you know, just like mind your own business. Like let me do what I want to do. So I really enjoy doing the motions to suppress, and so like, I think that's what kind of wet my appetite for that kind of thing. So this has been like the first application of that since going into civil from from criminal. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I remember anytime you got a new case in in the PD's office or any kind of new criminal case, you always read it for a motion to suppress. That's always where you start off. Is what is there a motion to suppress here that? that someone's rights were violated, that, that we can just um, get this thrown out on the fruit of the poisonous tree. So, yeah, it's uh, I do miss that. So what's your favorite uh, aspect of being a plaintiff's civil personal injury attorney? You know, I mean, as attorneys, we're, we're problem fixers. That's just what we are. And I think as a PI attorney, you're really trying to help somebody for something that really wasn't their fault i mean it really they didn't want to get in this car accident they didn't want to have this slip and fall they didn't want to um, get run over on their bike and things like that so i mean it, it there is a lot of uh um of just a, a rewarding feeling when you do get to get somebody compensated fairly for what they've been through and unfortunately a lot of times we don't do that i mean we just can't we just there's not enough insurance or just yep. a jury doesn't go their way, but um, but just trying to make someone whole again from what they've gone through, um, and I'm happy to say that a lot a lot of most of my clients are, are definitely pleased at the end of the case than um, than the ones that are displeased. But usually those are the type of people you can't you can't uh, satisfy anyways. But um, I, I'll be telling you, man. I mean, even like today, um, I had a, um, a recorded statement with an insurance company and. It's frustrating sometimes how insurance companies treat uh, people and, and, of course, the, our clients, these plaintiffs, and really holding them accountable. I, I think it's 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 um, rewarding because they have so much power and so much money, and they can just make decisions on what a case is worth without even talking to anybody. It just always blows my mind. So just I guess standing up for somebody against an insurance company because. Most people don't have the means. It's so expensive yep. to try a case, to, to actually get the doctors to come in, to go take depositions. I have people come in and they ask me, well, why couldn't I do this by myself? I'm like, oh, you absolutely could. You could totally do this by yourself. But you'd have to have the means. You'd have to have the money. You'd have to have the patience. You'd have to be able to ask the right questions. So, um, yeah, just, just holding people accountable, I think, is, is definitely worth what I do. Yeah, I like that too. I like the, I mean, I, so I haven't been on the plaintiff side long enough to I think really fully experience the holding the, the insurance companies accountable because obviously I used to work for them, right? Sure. But one of the reasons I, I 
jump ship and, and switch sides is because of that. Because I, I found myself, and you know, we've discussed this before, but I found myself yeah. on many occasions being like, what are we doing? Like, what is this? Like, liability is not in dispute, although, of course, we haven't conceded that liability is in dispute. Causation could be an issue, but not really. Obviously, we'll argue that. It really comes down to damages, and it's like, you know, like, and, and we're like, what, $20,000 apart? And it's sure. like, you know, just give me $10,000 and let me try to see if I can't go finish this thing. And they'll just be like, no, no. We think that, you know, we, we really, we're valuing the case at, you know, whatever, whatever number. You know, uh, I literally had, um, I'll never forget it. It was the last trial I did, and we were very successful in this trial. But still, the two weeks before trial. So I'm like looking like I'm in serious trial prep mode at this point, right? Yeah. Have that. Have a conversation with the adjuster, and I'm like, it was kind of the same deal. I think we were like ten thousand dollars apart, though, maybe fifteen thousand dollars apart. And I was like, listen, give me ten thousand dollars and let me just like last ditch go see if I can't settle this thing, you know? Because they had gone, they had been at like a hundred thousand dollars for like four years, and they they all of a sudden dropped to thirty like the month before, right? And so I was like, now we're in, now they're in reasonable territory for a negotiation. And, you know, let me see if I can't settle this thing for like 15 or 20, which would be almost right in the middle between the two of us. Right. And the adjuster was like, no, no, maybe if they come to you on the courthouse steps, we'll do 12. But like, you know, and she had her reasons and, and and she literally said, Mr. Wagner, what I'm basically trying to tell you is make sure that your suit is dry cleaned. And I was like, okay, that's literally what she said. She said, make sure your suit is dry clean. And I was like, fuck. All right. You know, like, obviously we're doing this. Like as a litigator, I'm like, well, great. Uh, This is a go. Like we're going to trial. It's happening. Um, But like the, the, the common sense, reasonable person in me was like, why is this happening? Like, why are we doing this? We're about to spend $25,000 to go to trial over a case that we might be able to settle for 10, like 10, 10 more or whatever, you know, like. That doesn't make any sense to me. And like I, I found myself having conversations similar to that one with so many different adjusters. You know, where I would be like, listen, like, we're at the front end of a case, right? And I'd be like, listen, like, you can pay me twenty thousand dollars to like get the trial in this case or to go through mediation on this case, but like I bet I can make this case go away for ten thousand dollars more than what you're willing to put on it right now. And they'd sure. be like, Nope, just go. All right, you know, here we go. Off to the discovery process, you know, and uh, you know, like sure. obviously that's how I get, that's how I was getting paid at the time, but it just isn't fulfilling as an attorney. It was not fulfilling for me. Where it's just like I feel like we were nickel and diming a lot. Sure, and I, and I and I never worked on that side with you, and I I know, I mean, insurance and adjusting is very very important. I mean, that's the way that makes the whole system work. It's, that's what they've got to do. But um, in and I mean, maybe I just am jaded from being on this side for as long as I have been, but I've just seen them do more improper stuff than proper stuff. And I'm, I'm not calling any legal or anything like that, but yeah. just maybe just stuff that, like you were kind of saying, just doesn't sit right. You don't feel fulfilled or you don't just, you feel like they're just not playing fair. And um, and that's what I, what, I, what I tell people is this is why personal injury attorneys have a job because – we just fight with insurance companies, and, and that's just the way it has to be. But without us, I mean, who knows what would happen? I yep. mean, it's 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 kind of ridiculous. So. Yep. Yeah, I actually had um, I had a, a UM demand that came due on Tuesday. Uh huh. And I'm not giving the full rundown of it, but basically, my client has about thirty six thousand in hard meds. BI paid out at fifty. Uh-huh. And so I sent him like the day that they paid out we settled the BI, I immediately sent the UM demand over to him, gave him 10 days. Um, you know, he's got permanent injury, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole shebang, right? With yeah. 36,000 hard meds, serious accident, not, not catastrophic, but serious accident, liability is not in dispute. There's no causal factors either. He's never had an MRI before in his life and he's 50, right? So I'm like, they'll be dumb not to. You know, like I understand, you know, 150,000 is still 150 grand or 160, I guess, with PIP, right? 160. But like this case is, you know, he hadn't had a surgical recommendation yet, but he's, you know, got a partial thickness there in his right wrist, and he's got, you know, lower back herniations with, with you know, uh, nerve root impingement. So, so, like, good luck getting around that. I mean, obviously, they'll get their CME, and I'm sure that they'll say it's a bulge or whatever, but, you know, um, once they propose surgery, this case is going to, you know, it's going to blow the policy limit. So I got a call back from them. I got no offer from them, Paul. 
Wow. Nothing. Yeah, they no, said, we can't even give you an offer. And I, I literally told them, I was like, you're playing with fire. You know, if you yeah. want to go that route, go that route. But, like, this is, I don't understand. I mean, no, I do understand where they're coming from. I didn't say I don't understand. But, you know, like, sitting, talking to you, it's like, you know, hey, you know, if they want to do that, then that's what they're going to do, I guess, you know. But I'd rather go ahead and settle the case out now, obviously. But if we're going to have to fight it, then they're going to have to pay more money. That's that's on them. Yeah. No, 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 man. That, I, yep, I see that all all day long. And and there's no rhyme or reason. I mean, it, and, I, mean I think we've talked about this as well, too. It's, it's really sometimes the adjuster that you get different adjusters, you get different results. And But some adjusters are just different. I mean... I know you've been doing it long enough that, I mean, with these herniations, I do always um, tell people there's a w very wide range of what's acceptable to s resolve your case in. And it's a huge range. And there's, there's so many factors that go into it. And a lot of it is the adjuster and and, um, and just what they what they put on it. Yep. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you've been doing like, um, oh, what is it called? Um... Is it called Zeus? Is like this mythical oh, what is program it that the adjusters use that they have to have yeah, like keywords, Apollo or, uh, or uh, it's gonna come to me in a second. Oh, a Col <laughs> Colossus. 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 That's it. There we go. It's one of yeah. those one of those Greek words, right? Yeah. Like, have you spent any time like trying to like wrap your head around that stuff? Like, how legit do you think that is? I don't know, and I don't. I mean, I I would um, I learned how to write demands from David and Mike here. Like in the beginning, I would just write my own demands. Kind of, I had some of their demands, but then I would kind of just take my own little spin on it, yeah. and then take them take it to them, and um, and they would kind of edit a little bit and get back to me. But no, I put no thought in that. I just I do a demand how I think it should be written, and. I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, if you know more than I do about it, but I haven't heard anybody that's really gotten much benefit from taking any of those classes or reading a book about it. So I, I don't know anything about that. And Mike Kirby, he was, um, I mean, uh, he was like uh, head counsel for Progressive, like in Jacksonville for like 15 years or something like that. And he doesn't really put too much stock in that stuff either. He just writes his own demands and just says, listen, it's they're going to do what they're going to do with it. So right. That's kind of my take on it right now. No, I haven't met anybody who has had success with it, but people over here talk about it a lot since I've come over here. Like before, I had, when I was at my old firm on the defense side, I'd heard a little bit of talk about it, but nothing, nothing big. Yeah. And, you know, my whole thing when I was on the defense side was, you know, I don't really care what the adjusters think. All I care about is what the jury thinks. Because sure. Jurors no. aren't adjusters. They're not computer programs. They're just gonna like plug in whatever, or, you know, w whether they have a formula or not based off of Colossus. I don't really know. It sounds like they must, but, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like it's it's what a jury thinks. You know, it's not what, it's not what Colossus thinks. The Colossus isn't the jury. So, I'm kind of with you, man. I'm I, like I like writing a demand that I think, is. Relevant and persuasive to. Maybe not persuasive because you're trying to persuade the adjuster, I guess, right? Yeah. But well, no, it, it, yeah, it's relevant yeah. to, to trial, not to not to any particular, you know, whatever formula they may or may not have. Yeah, you just brought up something I just remembered. I'll tell you about it too. And I, and I don't know how effective it was or not, but I just I was I was talking with this adjuster and she just kept on going on and on about the meds. And so I was like, you know, if if this case goes to trial, it's more about the meds. And I was like, actually, I have to know why I did this because I had some jury instructions that I was working on, like right next to me. I was like, let me read you what the damages are that we're claiming in this. And we're not disputing there's not a, per a permanent injury. And I, you guys haven't said that, so we're going to argue pain and suffering. But you got to look at it. There's past medicals. There's future medicals. There's past lost wages. There's future lost wages. And then there's this something that you guys never, ever want to talk about called pain and suffering. <laughs> yeah, right. and, I know, and I know there's no formula for that. And there's no magic um, way that a jury can really come up with that. They just got to believe what our arguments are and what the – what, what is fair and just in this case, but you guys never, ever mentioned to me about pain and suffering. And why is that? And she didn't even know. She didn't even answer for it. She goes, oh, well, we just don't factor that. Or she just said, well, it is in there. That, that's part of it. It's the meds and the... And I'm like, give me a break. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, that's not even in reality. Like, going back to this UM demand that I had this week, like, they were like, her... The best argument that, that she gave me was... Well, you've got the 50,000 BI, you've got 36,000 in med, so you've been indemnified. It's like, the hell we've been indemnified. Like, he's still treating. 
Yeah. Those bills are still going up. You know, and we and just like you said, we haven't even talked about pain and suffering. Like you're trying to tell me that like all cases just stop once you've paid the medical bills. That's not uh, the way it works. No one, no case works that way. So it's yeah. like that's why I was, I guess, like I'm not stupefied because I've been doing this long enough and I've been on the other side long enough and to hear those arguments and, and to know what they're thinking. But it's just, I guess, being on this side of it, I, I thought that maybe. I guess I was egotistical enough to think that, like, flipping sides, I'd just be like, oh, yeah, I was an old defense attorney. Like, I know how to talk to you guys. It's all good. Like, look, you know, like, I'm not trying to, like, pull any fast ones here. Sure. And yet they're still just going to be like, oh, no, it's only 36000 Like, that's, you, you know, you're, you, you guys are good. It's like, oh, okay, I guess this is this is why we, like you said, this is why we do what we do. This is why plaintiff's attorneys exist. Like, now I'm going to yeah. go file a lawsuit, and that'll be, the, actually, I'll wait for the CRN to expire. I filed that, you know, the day of. And then once that expires, then I'll file a lawsuit and yep. we'll, go, we'll go after bad faith. Yep, that's right. Yeah, no, it just I think there's so many people that just don't know better to talk to an attorney that um, they just handle these claims on their own. And I think these adjusters get really used to that. Yeah. And they just they are, they're able to do this because there's so many people that handle their own claims. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. Yeah, no problem, Chris. It was good catching up. But yeah, all right. So um, let everybody know uh, where you work, what you do, and how they can get a hold of you. Yep, no problem. This is, again, Paul White, and I'm an attorney over here in Melbourne, Florida. And I work with the law firm of High Stack Gordon and Kirby. And we are a personal injury firm. We've been here for a long time. We're, um, uh, I wouldn't say a small firm, but uh, but not as big as some of those big guys that you see advertising. But we do it all. We we have cases against big corporations, um, all the insurance companies, um, cities, homeowners associations. We do it all. Um, so we like to like to think we're good at it too. So if you if you <laughs> need any help and you're in the Melbourne area, please give us a call. Yeah, and I'll echo that because I've actually practiced against you guys. You are a formidable firm from a defense <laughs> perspective. So well, thanks. You guys know what you're talking about. Well, thanks. All right, so I guess we'll end it there.